Hi, this is Rod Rourke, board certified plastic surgeon in Dallas, Texas, helping you become a better you. Eyelids, we're gonna talk about eyelid surgery with a world expert, Dr. Jose Montes. Welcome, Jose, it's so great. First of all, uh, Dr. Montes is a good friend of mine. We do cosmetic boot camp together with Mary Lupo and Ken Beer. And so, Jose, tell us a little bit about what's new in eyelid surgery from your perspective. And you're such a great teacher and uh, you know, world, you know, you lecture around the world. So, so what's new? What's new and what's hot in eyelid surgery? Thank you, Rod. First, first of all, I'm so happy and honored to be here and to address a little bit or share a little bit of my expertise with your audience. I would say that for eyelid surgery, what is hot is what is right. And I think volume preservation. I think that we have all accepted as a gold standard volume preservation in many procedures, surgical procedures right. that we do. Regrettably, this has not been adopted yet by many other practitioners, but I would say that for eyelid, upper and lower volume preservation yep. would be my, yep. my pick. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree, and it, and you're so right, and you know, you do that so elegantly. And uh, so, and so wh what is the best thing to do to do volume preservation in the periorbital area, would you say? Okay, when we talk about volume preservation, what we mean is that below the skin, you have certain soft tissue or structures, and one of them is fat right. in, in the upper eyelid. Um, most people don't know that they have two fat compartments. One is that it's closer to the nose, the medial fat compartment, and the central fat compartment. As we age, the medial fat compartment, meaning the one that is closer to the nose, tends to get bigger. Right. That's why people complain, oh, I have like a bulge here in my upper eyelid close to the nose, because that fat compartment gets bigger. On the contrary, the central fat compartment gets smaller or gets atrophy through aging. So. If we do an upper eyelid surgery or procedure, we don't want to accelerate the aging changes. Changes. That's why at that procedure, if we open the skin, we remove some skin, we might move some of the fat from the medial compartment to the central compartment, but we don't remove that fat. That's precious. That will give you volume in the eyelid and youth. People tend to think that if they have a sunken, deep upper sulcus in the eyelid, they are fine because they don't have overhanging skin. But when you don't have volume there and you have a deep upper right. sulcus, that gives you an appearance of a little bit of a cadaveric right. appearance. That's right. So, Jose, you described that beautifully for me, and I know you've got a case you want to talk about that shows exactly what you talked about in, in fat preservation. Yes, and also um, fat preservation for the upper eyelid is kind of an, uh, probably a newer concept than fat preservation in the lower eyelid. So we, we have been preaching about preserving fat on the lower eyelid, right. meaning that we don't move a lot here because some people get, get eyelid surgery on the lower lid and then they end up with a concavity there. Right. But 
I must say that fat preservation in the lower eyelid is not always fat transposition, as some people may have been preaching that is the correct procedure. Right. There are many patients that will not benefit from fat transposition just because the fat there will probably grow and you will have a remaining uh, bulge there. I agree. And so I think that the fat transposition um, idea is a little bit overused, is a little bit of a hype. I agree. Very specific patients for trans fat transposition, maybe is a younger patient with little fat and a definite tear trough or demarcation between the lower eyelid and the mid face in which you may transpose or move the fat from superior to inferior and cover I, that concavity. I, I, but in, in most cases, this is a fat subtraction procedure and fat preservation or septum tightening procedure. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. And I think it has been a fad and I actually used it for a while and I abandoned it for the reasons exactly what you said. Uh, sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, sometimes you get fibrosis in that area. So I do addition subtraction. I'll take out selective fat if I need it in the lower eyelid and then I'll I'll blend the fat or put a filler in, but I'll blend I'll blend the fat with fractionated fat. So so show us some examples. I know you you wanted to t talk to about this and, and of course pictures are always worth a thousand words. You have a couple of cases you want to tell us about. Yes, but you know we we talk about the the upper eyelid patients, and, and I was yep. very emphatic about volume preservation. We have to think. I mean, we have to survey the whole face when we look at a patient that requests an eyelid procedure, and usually by surveying the whole face, we can get many clues about what's the right procedure. By looking at a face, you saw in the first patient. We, we saw on screen, it was a very small face, thin skin right. patient. Therefore, her eyelids were very thin. So I removed on the upper eyelid only skin. Right. In this second patient that I'm showing now is a patient that has rather a bigger face, thick skin. Therefore, the upper eyelid has thicker skin and it's a heavier brow, a brow complex and eyelid. You can see that in the picture. Right. So in the patient, I elected for a procedure in which I'm removing skin, some muscle, and definitely some fat debulking. Right. And this is the result. Right, which is beautiful. And I agree. And so, so it's basically it tailored to the patients. Needs. That's exactly right. I mean, it's just like anything else. You have to be, you know, an expert to understand and to analyze the patient. Thin skin, thick skin, fat. They're not. And uh, but the key is, you know, the youthful look is always a full look in, in eyelids. And as you know, we certainly in plastic surgery, you know, we for decades were taking out too much fat and making people look older. It was a paradox. And now we finally have gotten to, I think, the nirvana of blepharoplasty, where less is more and fat is very precious, especially in the eyelid. And and uh -oh. I know you've showed that beautifully. I think that's the biggest learning that we have had in the past 10 years. And also ethnicity, Rod. Right. We have to, I mean, there's no procedure in the face that has more impact than an eyelid procedure. Right. I know that I'm biased. I'm a oculofacial surgeon by training, but I mean, you can have a facelift, 
well, except for noses, of course. <laughs> you <can. laughs> but, you know, eyelids have such a big impact. And if you don't I respect ethnicity, you change the person. I mean, we have seen so many people, well-known people, celebrities that are unrecognizable. Right. And if you try to pick or or try to the, to see where that went wrong is in the eyelids. I agree. I 100% agree. And and if you change them, it's it's very hard. It's like a rhinoplasty. It's, it's hard to take them back because sometimes it's irrevocable, isn't it? I mean, so you have to be very careful with what you do with the eyelid, not only changing their ethnicity, but also making them look different or weird, right? what I always try to teach to my residents because I'm a professor at the University of Puerto Rico that for upper blepharoplasty there is one thing that you should always remember and this is very technical but is the incision placement in the upper eyelid has to be lower 100%. as low as possible you know what women wants after surgical procedures on the upper eyelid, they just want space to put makeup on. Just that, <laughs> remember that. The rest is accessory. So try to keep your incisions very low. I agree. Therefore, you will, you will preserve the ethnicity, and especially in men. This is one of the procedures that, in terms of gender distributions, I mean, I have men and women, like 60% women and 40% men, seeking for upper eyelid surgery. So men are looking for these procedures, right. and you have to protect their gender uh, aspirations. 100%, 100%, that's so well done. And also, you know, placing it low, especially in patients of color, because if you you can't, you can't hide that if it's too high. I did a patient the other day that was a Fitzpatrick four, and she had an incision way up high. You can't fix that except with, uh, I guess, with skin pigmentation and tattooing. But you know, wise words from uh, Dr. Montez, who's a true expert in this area. Place them low because then they can put makeup on, and also it's imperceptible then. So, and you also had another patient you wanted to show us that was really going to demonstrate some of those things we talked about. Well, I just want to demonstrate here that something, I mean, we cannot look at the eyelids without their precious neighbor, eyebrows. Right. So when you are thinking about eyelid surgery, the first thing is you have to make sure that the patient doesn't have actually a droopy eyelid, what we call ptosis because that's something that has to be corrected complete, in a completely different way. Right. You have to surgery on the muscle that actually lifts the eyelid. Also the position of the eyebrows. What is the relation between the eyebrows and the eyelids? That's a key component of our assessment and our procedure. And sometimes we can deal with the brow position with neurotoxin, meaning in a less invasive maneuver but sometimes we can do procedures actually like through the same eyelid incision i do some brow uh, fixation procedures through the same eyelid incision that's not a lifting procedure that's basically putting like a suture a pexy, yeah. on the roof and trying to keep the roof which is the eyebrow um in position preventing the lateral brow aspect to descend. 
Yep, I like that, and I use that not infrequently in males, and I think it's very powerful. I mean, it gives you that subtle elevation that people will like in that area, and I agree. It's so true. You know, you've got to look at your eyelid, you got to look at your eyebrow, and you have to be able to say what they need and what they don't need. And, and you know, you've shown that beautifully in your patient. You demonstrated that to us. So what are the, I mean, great, great, great advice here from Dr. Montez. So what are your take home messages for people that are looking uh, to get eyelid surgery? You know, they feel and look tired. What, what would you say are the three most important things they need to uh, ask themselves? And also, how do they find somebody who's an expert that can help them? Well, Rod, I get a lot of questions from eyelid surgery, and let me tell you that one of the most uh, recurrent questions from people is is if this procedure is covered by insurance. Okay. And I I tell them, I mean, the upper eyelid to in order for that procedure to be covered by an insurance the doctor, the physician, the provider has to demonstrate without doubt that the excess skin is actually um, having some visual field, making the patient deficient in the upper visual field somehow. And this is demonstrated by um, computer analyzed visual field testing this is a very specific testing that patients uh, need to go through their general ophthalmologist pictures and uh, of course the the doctor's assessment and most patients are not really uh, they don't really have a functional right. issue with this but i mean that's i hope answers to the patients that are following this youtube channel that you need to follow certain procedures right. to prove that indeed that may affect your vision, visual field in the upper gaze. Yes, and I and I get those questions as well too. And most of the time, you know, it really doesn't. And you know, many times this is a cosmetic procedure, both the upper and the lower, and unless it's really got a lot of you know visual field defects. And I think finding a, you know, board-certified oculoplastic surgeon, an expert like like Dr. Montez, who not only teaches it, he's a professor at the University of Puerto Rico, but also uh, somebody that really understands it well, you know, and that can be a facial plastic surgeon or, or board-certified plastic surgeon as well, but someone that's got expertise in eyelid surgery that understands all these concepts that, that Jose really talked to us in a very, very... Uh, natural way that really is very understandable. I mean, you're a great teacher, and I think we've all learned so much. So any other take-home comments for our viewers? The other thing people ask me is recovery. Oh my God, right. eyelid surgery, yep. does it hurt? Let me tell you, eyelid surgery, especially we're talking about the upper eyelid, um, the procedure is completely painless. I mean, right after the procedure. Right. If there's pain, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I do it under local anesthesia and IV sedation. Uh, both upper and lowers you do under local? Yeah, under local. And uh, I have never seen a patient that after the surgery has experienced pain. So this is um, my take on pain. Recovery-wise, people, I mean, depends on what you are looking for in terms of recovery. I would say that right after the procedure, of course, you, you have to expect to be 
uh, probably with uh, resting in, in with at least two pillows or semi sitting position um, for the, in when you're sleeping. But certainly you can do, you know, like your usual work, like within a couple of days. I mean, meaning um, office work um, for doing like um, exercise. Of course, that that's not possible um, after two, three weeks after the procedure. And usually I put sutures, which I removed within a week. Yep. Same here. I, I must say, you you must have much more compliant patients in Puerto Rico than I do in Dallas because I have to. I actually have them stay off about a, a week, and I don't let them exercise till they're three four weeks out. But uh, but that's that's great. And you know, the key is finding an expert, doing the right thing, and less is more. Like you mentioned, I mean, all wise words from an amazing oculoplastic surgeon and great friend, Dr. Jose Montes. Thank you so yes, much for oh, taking exercise, Rod. Excuse me, exercise. I said walk, like walking, passive oh, walking. Oh, okay, not get your heart rate above 100. For two yeah. weeks, they can walk, whatever. No, strenuous exercise, going to the gym, whatever. Of course, I give them at least a month. Okay, great, great. Wise words from Dr. Montes. Great having you and always- When to do it. People ask when to do it. It is better to do it earlier or later. Yep. You do it when you need it and your doctor, if he's a bona fide expert, he will know when to do it. Right, I agree. So know before you go. All right, thank you so much, Jose. I look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you so much. Wise words. Thank you.